Hi, my name is Ben, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website at publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. All right, adults, can we welcome kids from Sprouts and Roots to the 1130? Hey, guys, it's good to see you. All right, I'm going to need some help at a few points. You think you guys can help me out? All right, Austin, you got me? Okay, so today in Roots, you're going to be hearing a story, those of you in Roots, about King Ahab. Can you guys say Ahab? Ahab. Thank you, adults. Help us out, okay? So we're going to tell another story that has King Ahab in it to set you up for that. So here's the story. It's in 1 Kings 17. It says, now Elijah, can you say Elijah? Elijah. He's the good guy. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, say Ahab, Ahab, okay, so told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So to help us think about what it would be like to not have rain, we're going to rub our hands together and make it hot. So rub your hands together, all right, touch your friend, see if it's hot. Is it hot? Got it. All right, that's what it would feel like. So if there's no rain, it's going to be really hot, okay? So it says, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook near, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. Now, does anybody know what kind of animal a raven is? Yes. It's a blackbird. That's awesome. So here's what it's saying that the birds would fly down and the birds would actually bring them food. Is that not crazy? I'm going to eat it later. Are you allergic to peanut butter? Perfect. Yes. <laughs> All right. So think about this. If birds could bring you food, what would you want them to bring you? What kind of food would you want? Pizza, lasagna. Yeah? Macaroni. I'm in. Anybody want candy? Yeah. So this would be great. All right. So it says, so Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat, maybe peanut butter, each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So God took care of Elijah and provided food for him. So what's something that God has given you? What do you think? Your peanut butter sandwich. God provides when you miss breakfast. Should have put jelly on it. I am sorry. Okay, what else? Toys and friend, toys and family. That's awesome. Maybe even some animal crackers upstairs. Yeah. So God provides these things for us, just like He provided for Elijah. So one of the things that we've been doing as adults is in every story we see Jesus in it. And so this particular Bible has what's called the Jesus connection. So I'm going to read that to you. It says, God sent ravens with food for Elijah, and God sent Jesus to help us have everything we need. Isn't Jesus awesome? All right, you guys want to pray with me? All right, let's close our eyes and let's pray together. Here's our prayer. Dear God, thank you for giving us everything we need. Please help us trust you to give us what we need every day. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you guys are awesome. Can we give it up for these kids as they head out? Can I five? Yeah. Yes. You're lucky I like you. <laughs> All right. Isn't it awesome? Can we give it up for the volunteers serving them? Oh, I love it. I just want to let you guys know, parents, so what... What we talked about is today in Orange, um, or today in Roots and Sprouts, they're going to be doing lessons out of Orange. So we've been in a process of trying to implement Orange, which is a curriculum. And that may sound like, okay, why does that matter? It's because Orange is a game changer for how we empower you guys as parents to be the primary disciple makers for your kids. Can we give it up for the production team too? They don't want to be noticed. Yeah, good job, Todd. They hate that, by the way. So Orange is a game changer. All right, for how we help you as parents really teach your children how to follow Jesus. And what it does is every month parents get a handout so they can have conversations at home based on the conversation that they've been having in pre-K and in Roots. And so it's just awesome. And parents, if you're looking for a Bible, this is actually mailed to us from Romania, from our Romania family, uh, Ben and Louisa Wells, part of their, in the church we partner with. And it's called My First Hands-On Bible. They sent it to my son, Liam, and it is phenomenal. The activities that we did all come from this book. So this is definitely worth your investment. And, and parents, we, and really for all of us, we just wanted to take a moment and let you know where we're at with our children's ministry. Because in August, we talked about some needs that we have. And so we're going to put some numbers on the screen just to let you know where we're at now. And so when it comes to Sprouts, which is for birth through pre-K, here's what we need. At 9.30 and 11.30, you guys help me out. We need how many volunteers? At 5.30, we need nine. And that's a total of 33, so you feel like you're good at math, even if you're not, because it's on the screen, trying to help your self-confidence, okay? Now, help us out here. In August, when we first talked about this, how many people do we have serving on a given Sunday? Oh, come on. You guys are the 1130. You slept in a little bit. Let's try that one more time. In August, how many people do we have? 14. And now how many do we have? That's huge. Can we praise Jesus for that? That's awesome. It's like, are we there yet? No, we're making big progress. And most of the time in Sprouts, people serve twice a month. So that really represents 14 new volunteers that are saying, hey, I'm willing to serve. And then when it comes to Roots, which is for kindergarten through fifth grade, how many do we need at 930 and 1130? And at 5.30? Again, math for a total of 19. In August, we had, and now we've got, can we praise Jesus for those two people? It's amazing. And typically in Roots, people are serving the entire gathering. So that's a big deal that two people have stepped up and said, you know what, I'm going to attend one gathering and I'm going to serve another one. So we're trying to get there. And just to help us think about it in terms of our whole house. So let's say that we have 600 people that show up and they're in our gatherings. We're looking for um, 52 out of 600 people to serve in Sprouts and Roots. So the goal is just 8.7%. I mean, that's not very big, is it? So here's where we started, if we can be honest about not being very good. We started at 3.3% in August. That means only 3.3% of us that sit in a gathering like this said, I'm willing to serve our children. Well, now we've climbed to 4.8%. That's awesome. Okay, we're not up to 8% yet, but we're getting there. So again, can we praise Jesus for that progress? 
And there's going to be some roles on the screen. And so if you're thinking, okay, how do I get involved? Well, here's how we view it. We view Sundays as practice. Now, some of you athletes are like, I never like practice. Well, here's why practice benefits you. When you get home, that's game day. Because at home, Jesus has uh, chosen you as the parent to teach your child how to follow Jesus. But for some of you, that's really intimidating. You don't know how to do that. Your parents didn't do that for you. So if you commit to serving with Sprouts or Roots, that's practice. So what you can do is you can lead a game, for example, twice a month. And as you lead that game, you, you get a chance to connect with your child and also, as part of practice, you get to observe someone else. Like Deanna's in this gathering. She leads pre-K every week at 930. She's phenomenal. If you serve with pre-K, you may just be leading a game, but you're going to be observing Deanna and seeing how she talks to children about Jesus, which will help you talk to your kids about Jesus. So it really, really helps you. So parents and those of you who aren't parents, we just really encourage you. Think about if you want to be part of the solution. And if you want to serve, you can just email us on the next slide at nextgen at publicchurch.com. Send us an email, and we can continue to move towards our goal of really serving our children. Here's the thing. It is sacrificial. You're going to have to give up your time. But is it not worth it for the next generation? I don't know about you, but I believe it is worth it to be able to point them to Jesus. So if you would, just join me in prayer. And hey, look. Send an email. You can do that right now if you're willing to serve. But let's pray for our children. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for the progress we've made. Thank you for letting them come, be a part of this story um, and this series. And I pray that you would just continue to challenge people in our church to step up and serve with Sprouts and Roots. We pray that you would get us to that 8.7% where we are fully staffed in Sprouts and Roots and we're able to fully implement Orange. Lead us to that point because it's worth it. Help us to see the value in pointing kids to you, Jesus, because it's you that said, don't hinder the children. So help us to never hinder the children, but instead to bring them to you. So we love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So before we finish our series today, which is what we're doing, I just want to point you towards our podcast. Maybe this is your first week. Maybe you've missed a few weeks. If you want to go and catch up on the series and where we've been, the podcast is on the Public Church app that Hannah talked about and hosting. It's also on your phone's podcast store. And here's what I encourage you to do that. Throughout this series, we've been focusing on action. See, our goal in any series, in any talk, is never for us just to show up and, and hear a talk and just kind of feel good about ourselves, then go have a nice lunch. No, our goal is for us to come and be challenged and both changed by Jesus. And that when we walk out of the 1130, or when you listen to the podcast, that then you are taking tangible action steps as a result. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're taking that action by his strength inside of you, and if you're not following Jesus, that, that action is moving you one step closer towards him. So last week, just to let you guys know that we're not just up here talking about this stuff, but that we're really trying to take action as well. Last week, we wrestled with a really tough question, and it's this question. Are we crushing or coming alongside those with material needs? So as we talked about the book and the story of Amos, we, we wrestled with this question. And so this week, uh, in our all-team meeting on, on Tuesday, our staff decided that, hey, we want to make sure we're coming alongside. So we as a staff are going to combine our resources, and we're going to sponsor an orphan through Shepherd's Heart International, which is one of our partners. They work in both Kenya and Mozambique. Some of our staff, like we already sponsor a child individually, but like, hey, we can do this together. And so if you came last week, or maybe you listen to the podcast this week, and you're thinking, okay, what's the act? 
action I need to take? Like, I don't just need to listen to this and move on. What's the action? Maybe your action could be coming alongside an orphan in Kenya through Shepherd's Heart. So if you want to do that, it's on the screen, shepherdsheartinternational.org. And at the top, you'll see sponsor a child and just hover on that. There's a drop-down menu. It's $40 a month simply to change a child's life. And so for us, we're saying, hey, we don't want to just be talking about it. We want to be leading the way with action. And I think that's really, really important for us to keep in mind as we move towards the end of the series, because we're not just putting it neutral and coasting down the hill. No, we want to go out with a bang as we continue to push towards action and momentum that can actually continue and carry us even beyond this series. And the way we're going to be pushing towards the momentum is by thinking about this statement. Stories, both new and old, are meant to be told. Think about that. Stories, both new and old, are meant to be told. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at a guy named Paul, and he had a story that he had to tell. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts 17. If you want to click there on your Bible app, it'll be on the screen in a few minutes. But as you're going there, I just want to think about your reaction when you hear a good story. Like when we hear a good story, what do we do? Nothing. You guys What do we do when we hear a good story? Cry. Thank you, Madison. I agree. And then after we cry, what do we want to do with that story? Tell somebody. Share it. Now, we don't like to have conversations in 2018, so we send them YouTube clips, you know, or like share social media posts and stuff like that. Occasionally, we'll actually like physically tell someone a story, but we want to share it. And so we know this to be true, that stories, both new and old, are meant to be told. So Paul, he's got this story inside of him that he has to get out. And before we look at that story, here's a little background on Paul. Paul, when he enters really the the biblical story, he actually hates Jesus followers. We first meet him when he's participated in the murder of a Jesus follower. And then after that, he's going to arrest and probably end up executing even more Jesus followers. This is his agenda. So check this out. If you're here today and you're not following Jesus... And if you're honest, you're really not interested in Jesus, and you don't like the people that claim to follow him, Paul is your dude. Like, maybe you're here, and you're like, look, I'm just here because somebody said cobblestone, and they're taking me here after that, and they have tater tots, praise the Lord. I I don't even believe in God, but if if I do believe in him, praise him. I am just ready for some tater tots. Look, if that's you, look, totally respect that. Paul's your guy, okay? And, And the reason Paul's your guy is because if you think you hate Christians, he hated them more, so much that he was hunting them down and trying to kill them. But... Paul met Jesus, and when he met Jesus, Jesus changed everything in him. And so know that if you don't follow Jesus, and even if you don't like Jesus' followers, we are honored that you chose to be with us. And we just want to extend the same invitation that was extended to Paul, that that we ourselves have accepted, which is to give Jesus a try, to give him an opportunity to change everything in you, just like he changed everything in Paul, And just like, he's changing everything in us. So we pick up in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, as Paul is going to be sharing the story that he simply cannot hold inside. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, pause there. Raise your hand if you hate to wait. Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. Okay, none of us, I don't think, I mean, does anybody like love to wait? You get stuck in traffic and you're like, yes, I didn't want to get there anyway, you know? 
I'm fine. I wanted to make it to Chick-fil-A at 1010 and not get there. I mean, I'm, I like it. I like it. No, no, we don't like to wait. So this is going to be good for your soul. This is therapy, okay? Take a moment, and with someone around you, share a time that you got delayed, stuck in traffic, that you had to wait. Just vent for just a second. Go ahead and talk to somebody. Do you feel better? Maybe you feel a little bit better. Some of you may have been stuck in traffic trying to get in here and you had to wait. Like, you know, I understand. Now, I wonder if there's any military people in the house that could finish this phrase. Uh, I've been told that in the military, a lot of times you hurry up and what? Hurry up and wait. My roommate, before I got married, he was in the army, and he's like, all the time, they would be like, get there, get there, get there. And we get there and just wait. Look, none of us like to wait, and so I just want to confess that I don't either. I'm not going to name the gas station, but it's at the corner of Keith and Inman. You can figure it out. Great gas station. Love the gas station. Don't love the pumps because they're unbelievably slow. Like, I'm there on Thursday afternoon, and I'm like, put my credit card in, and it's like, credit or debit? Credit. Zip code, 37311. You, you with me? I've been to multiple pumps at this thing. It's close to my house. I keep going. They're all slow. I mean, it's unbelievably frustrating. So we don't like to wait. But Paul's story makes us ask this question. Do we think that maybe seasons and times of waiting, even delays, could be intentional? could be used by God? Like, what if me being held up at this unnamed gas station led me to a divine appointment? What if that dead-end job that you just want to get out of, what if God puts you there to reach a coworker? Or what if the fact that you showed up to Chick-fil-A five minutes late for breakfast, I'm with you, caused you to have to go in, stand in line, and meet someone who God wanted you to talk to. So I think in this story, the first thing we see is that God uses and sometimes arranges delays and detours. For Paul, how did he get to Athens? It's because God was using and actually even arranging delays and detours. We're not going to read it, but if we go back to Acts 16, Paul is trying to go to Asia. Like, he has a plan. He's going there to tell people about Jesus, and it says the Holy Spirit literally blocked him. Now, you're like, how did that happen? We don't know exactly. But if we're honest, some of you may not follow Jesus because you feel like God slammed the door in your face. Some of you who follow Jesus, you're struggling because you know the feeling, thinking I'm supposed to do this, and God just slammed the door in your face. Well, God slammed the door in Paul's face. Then he tries to go somewhere else. He gets blocked again. Finally, God says, the place I want you to go is Macedonia, a detour. But check this out. This detour was not grand and glorious in chapter 16 at the end, guess where Paul ends up because of this detour? Beaten and imprisoned. But God was setting up divine appointments the whole time. So he's been detoured, and now he's literally just waiting in Athens. And I think one thing that we have to understand is that waiting can slow us down to see things we often miss. Like, I don't know about you, but in my life, I can't really problem solve. I can't really innovate if I'm just going and going and going. Like, I have to be still to do that. And sometimes I'm not disciplined enough to choose to be still. So someone or something has to make me stop. And waiting can do that. So while Paul, if we go back to verse 16, Paul is waiting for his friends to join him in Athens. He notices something. 
His spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. This word provoke means he's upset, he's irritated, he's distressed. Other versions use the term deeply troubled. And so what's happening is he's looking around and he sees all these idols. And he sees people, a city full of people. Like, here's how Athens was described. That it would be easier to run into an idol than a human. There's so many idols there that, that it's almost easier to find an idol than a human. And these humans that are there are giving their whole lives towards pursuing these idols. And Paul is broken because he realizes that it's all emptiness. That they're not getting where they want to go by worshiping these idols. So a question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I disturbed by the emptiness around? Is my spirit provoked? Am I irritated? Am I deeply troubled by the fact that there are people all around me who are pursuing things that really just end in emptiness? So am I disturbed by that? So it's kind of easy for Paul. He looks around. There's all these statues. But for us, what are some idols that people in our world go towards? What about this idol? Marriage. Brought my wife's veil. Have to keep this and not mess this up. You know, at times, marriage can become an idol. Now, I get it. Some of you are like, look, let me try this, God. You know, just test me. I want to get married. Like, show him to me today. That's what you're praying for. You're here for that. I get it. But for a lot of us, this whole idea of getting married, like if I find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, we're pursuing that, and we think that's going to fill the emptiness inside. But sadly, it's not. And then for others of us, it's not just marriage, but a lot of times it's actually sex. You know, there's a book that I've started. I'm really excited to keep reading it, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. Highly recommend it. Because a lot of times people in our culture they're pursuing sex, and they're looking to really love, and, and this, this whole, whatever they think they can gain, they think they can gain satisfaction through sexual relationships. Man, it's just ending with emptiness. And then what about this? You're like, um, you already said love. Look, I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about likes, followers, yeah, notifications. Give me that blue check mark. You know what I'm talking about? Now, we're motivated by this, the idol of acceptance. In our world, there's platforms like social media that are great and can be great tools for good, but can also be tools that are used in a negative way to constantly remind us to chase the idol of acceptance. And sometimes we're motivated by what's going to get us more likes, what's going to get us more followers, and that's what we're chasing. And really, it just leaves us emptier for our athletes in the house. What about achievement? When we find our self-worth in our last game, and our last performance. Now, if you're a fan of Alabama football, that's probably okay this year. Um, just saying, you're going to be all right. But if you're a Tennessee fan, I think God's trying to teach us that we need to find our value in something besides Tennessee winning. I mean, we're doing better. But anyway, I'm just saying God teaches the Tennessee football. But the point is, especially you're an athlete, you know it. It's all about what have you done for me lately? And if we can achieve enough, if we can get that scholarship, then we're all right. But we didn't anticipate that knee going out. We didn't anticipate that shoulder injury, that coach that just doesn't have our best interest in heart. And what are we doing when it doesn't work out the way we want it to? Or maybe for some of you guys, you're not athletes. Like, I don't get that. But maybe it's academic achievement. How many of you have written a paper in Turabian, show of hands? 
Okay, you are the elite. You are the chosen. This is the best format to ever write a paper in. I'm telling you, Christy, you'll come around. You'll convert. Um, Turabian is awesome. There's a manual for Turabian. Here, here's the deal. For some of you guys, it's about getting that degree. It's about getting that master's, getting the PhD and having those letters beside your name. And you're like, man, if I can just achieve those letters beside my name, then I'll be satisfied. Or what about this? I think in our world, a lot of people are chasing experience, travel. Charleston, South Carolina is one of my favorite cities in the U.S. Any Charleston fans with me? Thank you, Heather. Okay, we got a few people. I love this place. So we want experiences. And really, we're chasing a high that if I could travel there, if I could do this, if I could do that, then I will feel better. But we just keep wanting more, don't we? And then we get to the place and we're like, okay, I want the good life with the good stuff. So I don't just want to go to Charleston. I want to buy this house. Like, and we're looking through this book and we're traveling around and we're like, okay, my house looks like that. I want it to look like that. Where are Chip and Joanna Gaines, like for me in my neighborhood? Or then we think that if we just get a boat, our lives will be okay. Mm, this is Liam's boat. So, I mean, he's, it's working for him, I'm just saying. But, you know, if we just get a boat. And look, there's nothing wrong with having a boat. In fact, if you have one, please talk to me afterwards. I'd love for you to just take me out on it. I'm just saying. But sometimes we buy things that we shouldn't because we're chasing something that we're not going to find in that purchase. We're looking for the good life with the good stuff. And just to summarize all these idols that we're chasing, we're searching for more. We're looking for more, something to fill the emptiness inside. So the hard question that we start with is, am I disturbed by the emptiness around? But then it gets even tougher when we ask this, am I disturbed by the emptiness within? Now, I can look at all you guys and see your idols and your idols and your struggles and you're pursuing the same, but but what about me? Where am I pursuing idols that aren't gonna get me where I wanna go? And so Paul He's looking around, he's troubled, and, and I just wonder, are we, are we troubled by the results of our search for more, by the fact that we keep coming up empty? Well, well he's disturbed by this, and so in verse 17, he takes action, which is what we've been talking about. It says, verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be here. Paul does something. He recognizes that all these people are pursuing all this stuff, and it's getting them nothing. And he realizes, I have the more they are looking for. There is more, and it is found in Jesus. So he goes out, and he doesn't get in arguments. He doesn't tear down all their idols and take sledgehammers to them. No, he goes out, and he reasons. He enters into conversations. And notice where he does it. He does it in the synagogue. That would be a setting like this. But he also does it in the marketplace. And in so doing, Paul exemplifies our vision. Our vision's gonna be on the screen. I'd love for us to read this together. Ready, go. Develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. Paul exemplifies a public church because in spaces like this, he's inviting people to follow Jesus. And in the marketplace, which for him was the social center of Athens, in the marketplace, he was also inviting people to follow Jesus. So you're here. It's one thing to serve in this place, and that's awesome. But this is practice. What about when we get out there in the marketplace and it's game time? In our marketplace. 
Are we inviting people to follow Jesus? And before we can answer that, we first have to ask this, what is my marketplace? Another version says the public square. Our marketplace is going to be where we shop, where we get our groceries at, where we go get our gas at the really slow pumps. It's where we get coffee. It's where we choose to exercise, work out, or, or walk. It's, it's the places that we work. It's where we shop. This is our marketplace. And do we believe that God has put us where we are for people in the marketplace. Because I love this last phrase. It says, with those who happen to be there. Paul goes to his marketplace every day, and who does he talk to? Whoever shows up. Because he's like, God's got a plan. Wherever I'm at, I'm going to tell people about Jesus, so I'm just going to go to the marketplace, and I'm going to let God bring the people to me. So, what about at the gym? What about at the grocery store? What about at the office? Do you think that maybe God put you there on purpose? What about this? What about the place you live? A lot of times we separate the house we rent or buy from following Jesus, and really we should be saying, Jesus, where do you want me to live? Because Jesus, there's a specific grocery store that you want me to shop at. There's a specific YMCA or Anytime Fitness that you want me to work out at. There's a specific place you want me to be walking, a specific neighborhood, there's a specific school that you want my kids to go to because God wants to put us in a place where he has divine appointments waiting for us. Here's the good news. Even when we just choose where we want to live, he has worked out those appointments even without our intentionality. So if you're looking to rent or buy, ask God, where do you want me to live? Because it matters to him. And if you're somewhere and you didn't ask him, he puts you there on purpose. Look around. There are people around you that are there on purpose. So here's the question we've got to ask. God, who did you put me here I'm in this dead-end job, God. I hope I'm not in it forever. It's cool. But I'm here. Who did you put me here for? I'm in this neighborhood. Who did you put me here for? I'm in this dorm room. Who did you put me here for? You just hired this boss. Okay, I'm working under her now. Did you put me here for her? Who, God, did you put me here for? And so Paul's looking around, and whoever God brings him, he's telling them a story. And look with me at verse 18. We're going to see the stories telling them. So some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. We're not going to go into what they're thinking, but just know this. All kinds of people are talking to Paul. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? In other words, they're, they're insulting him here. Ah, he's ignorant. He's just, he has nothing good to say. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. And they're like, okay, maybe he's got something to him. We don't understand it. It's strange. It's new. But here's the story. He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Stories, new and old, are meant to be told. And we've got the greatest story ever. So let's go into the marketplace and let's tell the story of Jesus and his resurrection. And I love the term preaching. In the original language, it's in the imperfect tense, which means he started preaching, and in the language, there is no end in sight. <laughs> this is just what he does. We got the greatest story ever. Will we tell it? I mean, think about the story <laughs> that we get a chance to walk into our marketplace and share. We get a chance to tell people that God the creator God became a human and his name was Jesus. And all the things that trip us up, he mastered. 
that he was perfect. And in his innocence, he went to the cross, the cruelest form of execution at that time, to die for our mistakes. He died for us in his innocence. And not only that, but after he was dead, he rose from the grave. Look, in Greek thought, people didn't do that. You didn't die and, and be resurrected. That just didn't happen. This was unheard of. And look, I don't know about you, but I can't even predict what time I'm going to get to lunch today. Jesus said, hey, what's this? I'm going to die and rise again. And he pulled it off. Come on, people. This is amazing. This is the best story ever. Why wouldn't we, A, follow him, and B, tell everyone? Because stories, new and old, are meant to be told, and this one must be told. But to tell it, we've got to know it. So I beg you, I beg you, write down this next slide. Take a picture of this next slide, especially if you don't feel comfortable going to your marketplace tomorrow and telling somebody the story of Jesus. Because here's how we can learn it. Read Luke 22 through 24. Here's who Luke was. Luke was a doctor, a very educated man. He did his research, and he wrote an eyewitness account of both the life of Jesus and what we're reading in Acts, which is the start of the church of Jesus. So read, Acts, read Luke 22 through 24, and then read it again, and then read it again. And maybe you journal, but find a way to put it in your own words so that when you're at the gym and finally the guy that you've been building a relationship with, one day he just opens up and you're like, hey man, how are you doing? Can you spot me? And he goes, man, my wife left me. You talk to me every, I don't know who else to talk to, dude. I, I, I don't know what else to do. And you can look at him because you're ready. You've read Luke 22 through 24 and you can say, look, your wife may have left you, but Jesus never will. And let me tell you what he did for you. And you can find hope in this dark season in him because he died and rose again for you. That's the opportunity in front of us. The second thing, the way to learn the story is to, to go to a community group. Community groups meet in homes in this city and in Chattanooga and uh, our middle school and high school students meet in the annex next door on Wednesdays. Go to a community group because here's what we're doing in community groups this week. We're talking about different scenes in the life of Jesus and we're talking about the end of his life, his death and resurrection. And if you want to learn the story, get around other people who know the story and are trying to learn the story as well. It's going to help you. And then if you have any questions, email us office at publicchurch.com because we would love to remove any barriers to you being able to tell this story. Because here's the challenge at the end of this series, the action that actually lets us build momentum to carry on beyond the series. It's this, let's take story time to our marketplace. That's what Paul did. That's the invitation, the challenge for us. Let's take story time to our marketplace by telling the best story ever. And Paul did that. And here's what happened in verse 19. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Like this is like the elite council of Athens saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Let me tell you this. If people in your marketplace are asking you questions, you are on the right track. Look, we got to start the conversation. But at some point, they're going to say, hey, can, can we chat? Oh, my goodness. Praise Jesus for that. You are going in the right direction. Always take time to answer their questions because Paul did here. And then I think verse 21 applies to us in the form of a warning. It says, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. As Paul told this story, 
They wanted to hear it. And then here was their response. Sweet Paul, let's get coffee sometime, bro. Hit me up the next time you're in Athens. We'll talk more. Or he is dumb. That's stupid. Forget it. No, all they wanted to do was talk and talk and talk. Look, Jesus, his story, it elicits a response. It's an invitation, an offer that's on the table to stop pursuing all of this stuff that leads to emptiness and to start chasing him. And we can't just talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. We've got to decide the action we're going to take, either to follow or to reject. The ball's in our court. So today, if you walked in and you don't follow Jesus, do you want to follow him? Because he died for you and he rose again. And if you do, just tell him, Jesus, here's my life. I messed up, but you died for me. Make me yours. And he will. And in a few minutes when we have a chance to end this gathering by singing, I'm going to be by this exit sign. And if you make that decision today to follow Jesus, please come talk to me because I would love to talk to you about the next steps. And for those of us who are already following Jesus, really it's, are we going to take the story of Jesus to our marketplace or not? That's the invitation for us. And will we do what it takes to get ourselves ready? Because you may not be comfortable with the story, but you can take a step today to get ready to share it. So here's a couple steps I would just propose. Number one, before you stand and sing, would you think about your marketplace and would you commit to praying for at least one person in your marketplace every day? Will you pray every day? Probably not. You'll miss a few days. I miss some days praying for the people I pray for, but I pray for them a whole lot more than I would if I didn't have the goal of every day. So would you say, hey, starting today in the 1130, I'm going to pray for this person every single day. I'm going to ask for divine appointments. And when I get delayed, when I'm waiting, I'm going to look around. And if they're there, I'm going to be like, all right, God, I'm in. I don't like the fact that I'm waiting, but you're up to something. Paul was waiting in Athens. I'm waiting in line. Let's talk. The second challenge is maybe you're not ready to tell them the story of Jesus and invite them to follow him. But would you invite them next week to the 530? Next week, we're having public worship night, and it is going to be a phenomenal night. Here's the vision of the whole night. It's all built around a line and a song that we're going to end our gathering with today. And the line says this, find hope when all the world is lost. I don't know about you, but I need some hope. There's people in my marketplace that need some hope. Let's invite them to come find hope in Jesus, even when everything seems lost. And that's a step, because Paul did that. He engaged people in the synagogue. Invite them to a gathering, but don't stop there. Do the work to get to a place where you could say more than just come to the 530. Hey, come to that, but then you could also sit down and say, here's what Jesus did for you. Because stories, new and old, are meant to be told. And we got a chance to tell the greatest story ever. So as public worship comes up, a couple songs. Before we sing those songs, I challenge you to literally write down an action step to pray for that person right now in this space. And then after you take the action and commit to action that you're going to take when you leave, man, let's stand and worship the Jesus whose name is above all names, who has the greatest story ever and who has invited us to follow him. So Jesus, I am blown away by you. Thank you so much 
for this story of Paul. Thank you for the way that Paul was bold in environments like this and in his marketplace. And I pray that you would just show us our marketplace. Show us the people that you've put in our marketplace. Open our eyes to divine appointments. And I pray that right now in these next few moments, you would just give us a name and give us an action that we need to take, Jesus. And would you give us the courage to not forget about it when the music ends, but to let our song continue as we walk out of here and tell the greatest story ever.